Lord God, we just thank you for this season. We thank you for what it means. We thank you for your unbelievable grace and your mercy. Thank you for your son who came that we may have life. Help us to learn today. Help us to set aside any distraction. And Father, we just want to do right in your eyes. And may what we do today be honorable to you. In the name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So there was a golfer who wanted to play a round of golf midweek. And it was early in the morning, and he, sh- he did, couldn't find anybody to play with him. So he showed up to the golf course alone. And what they do at the golf course, if you show up alone, they pair you up with somebody else who's alone, or maybe two people. Well, there was another guy there, and they paired them together. And they got to the first tee, and they shook hands and said, hey, let's have a fun round of golf today. Well, the guy he met up with got up to the tee on a par four, hit a really long drive, took about three or four bounces, hit the pin, went straight in the hole. The hole in one. That's pretty amazing, the first hole. So the other guy, the other guy played his, his hole out. They got to the second hole. The other guy got up to that hole. It's a par three. Got up and hit it, bounced a couple times, hit the pin, went right in the hole again. And the first guy's like, Wow, they high-fived him. He said, that is unbelievable. Has that ever been done before? Two holes in one, starting a round of golf? So they got to the next hole. Guess what happened? Another long drive, perfect shot, right in the hole. Three holes in one in a row. So the first guy's like, come on, that can't, that can't be. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Who are you? Who are you? And the guy says, well, I'm actually no ordinary golfer. I'm an angel of the Lord. And I've come to play golf with you today. And he said, an angel of the Lord. Wow. Can I ask you a question? He said, sure, ask anything you want. Is there golf in heaven? I've always wondered, is there golf in heaven? And the angel of the Lord says, well, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is, yes, indeed, there's golf in heaven. It's amazing. It's incredible. Well, what's the bad news? You tee off at 2 o'clock. Well, in a, in a church, of course, that would, wouldn't necessarily be bad news, right? Teeing off for golf in heaven, I wouldn't mind that. But that would be a gift. It would be a gift to play golf in heaven, at least for me. Maybe not for you. Maybe you've got your own dreams of what God has prepared. Speaking of gifts, how, how's your Christmas shopping going? Are you all done? How many of you are Christmas shopping today? How many of you guys are just getting started today? I've got two words for you. Amazon Prime. Too late. Might be too late. Outlets. So speaking of gifts, today we're going to be talking about a gift. Now you may have a really cool gift that's on your Christmas list this year that you want. It may be really cool, maybe really expensive, but I guarantee you the gift I'm talking about is way better. It's way better than anything on your list. It's way better than anything on anybody's list. It's a long-lasting gift, the longest-lasting gift you'll ever get. It's a gift that comes at an extremely high price, but somebody else pays for it. It's by far the best gift you'll ever be offered. It's a game-changer, a forever game-changer. It's so incredible and amazing, the Apostle Paul called it indescribable. So what's the gift? Well, before the reveal, let's talk a little about gifts. 
Do we have the PowerPoint? Yeah, okay. Quite often when we're given a gift, what happens? We get a really cool gift, and maybe after a while it starts to grow a little stale. Time goes by, we get used to it, we get used to having it, and maybe we don't appreciate it until it's threatened to be removed or taken away. Let me give an example. Nicole and I have six kids. You can imagine that our toy box gets, would get full really fast. And every once in a while, we'd have to do a little thinning. You know, Goodwill or the dump. <laughs> and in our young parenting, when our kids were little, we were naive when it came to this. We would go to thin out the gifts, or we would go to thin out the toy box with some of the kids present. You know where I'm going with this. You can't take away my dinosaur. This is my favorite toy. <clears throat> it's my favorite dinosaur. But you haven't touched it for three years. I know, it's my favorite dinosaur. You can't take it away. Please don't take it away. Take Lissy's doll. <laughs> she doesn't like that doll anyway. She won't even miss it. But spare my dinosaur. Don't throw my dinosaur away. So what happened? All of a sudden, that dinosaur, when it was threatened to be taken away, all of a sudden became pretty valuable. So about six or seven years ago, I had a problem with my leg. I couldn't walk from here to the parking lot without pain in my leg. If I was standing still, it was fine, but if I walked somewhere, I would get pain. And it went on for about two years. It was miserable. Nobody could figure out what was going on. But finally, they figured it out. I had some surgery, and now I can walk fine. Now, do you think I value the gift of walking a little more now? I value it a lot more. You better believe I appreciate walking. I praise the Lord to be able to walk a short distance without some pain. Sometimes we don't value a gift until it's taken away. So for today, what I want to do, for illustrative purposes, what I want to do today is take something away and see if we value it anymore, if we miss it. So what am I going to take away? Think I'm going to take away Christmas? And see what that's like? Well, not exactly, because that's already been tried. This guy tried that already, didn't he? The Grinch. He tried to steal Christmas, that didn't work out so well. No, let's try something else. Let's try something else. What can we take away? What would happen if we took away Jesus? What would that mean? You know, we do a lot, like Dan said, we do a lot of celebrating at Christmas, we do a lot of cookies and parties, etc. But if we went out on the street and asked people, what does Christmas mean? What is Christmas all about? How many answers would we get? We'd get a lot of answers, wouldn't we? But maybe, maybe somebody would say, well, it's really about baby Jesus. Okay, so, what if it is about Jesus? Is that such a big deal? Why is that a big deal? Why is Jesus such a big deal? I mean, after all, look at society. Society is doing everything it can to take Jesus out of Christmas. Maybe you've noticed this. It's politically incorrect to mention Jesus in places about Christmas, the very reason for Christmas. We can't even say Merry Christmas for crying out loud in a lot of places. Society 
is pushing the very reason for Christmas, Jesus, out of Christmas. So for illustration purposes, you know what I say? Okay, society, you win. No more Jesus. Jesus, you were never born. Let's just pretend. No more Jesus. You're not going to hear that in church every day. What would it be like if Jesus was never born? Would it make a difference? What would it look like? What should our reaction be? Indifference or concern? What would it be like with no more Jesus? Would we miss anything? Well, here's the deal. We may not think we'll miss anything, but without Jesus, we've got a big problem. Every one of us. It's a huge problem, a forever problem. It's a problem that a lot of churches don't really talk about much. It's not so nice to talk about. What's the problem? Well, it's three letters. Oop. I guess I don't have it. Three letters. Sin. S-I-N. Sin. Oh, we hear that word. Sin. Why is sin such a problem? What is sin? Well, sin is doing wrong or not doing right according to God's rules. Sin is doing wrong or not doing right according to God's rules. If God says, don't lie, well, then don't lie. If God says, don't steal, then if God says, don't steal, you got it. So what's the big deal? Is sin that big of a deal? Well, like that golfer, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. First, what's the problem with sin? The Bible says this. Here's the problem. that Everybody in the world, let's see if I can find it here. There it is. I got it. Sin. Everybody in the world is going to appear before God on Judgment Day. Everybody. This is what the Bible says. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things we've done in the body, whether good or bad. We are going to sit before God either when we die or when Jesus comes again. We are going to be judged. That's a problem without Jesus. Hebrews 9 says, Just as a man is destined to die once and then face judgment. We are all going to sit before our Creator and be judged. It'll be a one-time decision that'll decide your place in eternity. Will it be spent in joy and peace in the paradise and forgiveness with God? Or will it be spent in forever in an unimaginable place of misery, which Bible, the Bible calls a lake of fire? And have grace on me. I'm probably not giving heaven its due, and I'm probably not giving hell its due. It's probably way better and way worse than I could ever describe here. But a lake of fire sounds pretty hot. There was a church in the Midwest a few months ago that bought a brand new air conditioning system for their church. It was several thousand dollars. And they installed it. And after just a few days, they came back to church and it was gone. Somebody had stolen it. They called the police. They did an investigation. Nothing was found. So finally, the church did this. They put on the reader board in big block letters... They put, to whoever stole our air conditioner, go ahead and keep it. Where you're going, you're going to need it. (laughs) 
I think it's going to be hot. I don't know about you, but do you really want to find out? So what makes us innocent or guilty before God on our personal judgment day? Well, I've got some bad news, more bad news. This is what you have to be. You have to be perfect. You heard me right. You have to be perfect. Not one sin will be allowed in heaven. One sin is enough to convict us on judgment day. Does that sound impossible? You'd be right. On your own, without Jesus, you would be right. It is impossible. This is a big deal. This is forever. I don't know if you know this, but you're going to be dead a lot longer than you're going to be alive. It's forever. Where do you plan on being? When we're sitting there in God's courtroom, will you be found innocent or guilty? Heaven or hell for you? It's really very simple. It comes down to that three-letter word. What happens to our sin? Well, I've got more bad news. None of us is perfect. You ha- we have to be perfect, but none of us is perfect. I know it's a shocker. You may think you are, but everybody has sinned against God. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody in this room, everybody in the world. This is a problem that everybody shares. We've all sinned and deserve to be guilty before God. The Bible says without, without any help, this goes on our record. And it will be presented on our judgment day. And I've got more bad news. Sin separates us from God. One sin will not be allowed on judgment day. It's enough to convict us. So let's say this. Let's say this back wall right here, including the screen, is a portrait of your life. It's a portrait of your life before God. And every time you sin, Satan ranks it up there with your name, the sin, and the date. Every time on this back wall. It has to be perfectly clean to get into heaven. But every time we sin, a mark goes up there. What would it look like? Remember, one speck will make you guilty. You can't do one thing wrong. It has to be perfectly white. But every time you sin, your name, the date, and the sin goes up there. And you may say, well, I've not been that bad. I've not been that bad. Well, I've got some bad news. You've been not that bad compared to who? Compared to the person sitting next to you? Eh, I'm good. I think they're worse than me. No, it's not compared to anybody else. It's compared to a holy God, a perfect God. What have you been compared to God? That's how you're going to be. We're all going to be judged. We'll be judged compared to a perfect God. Which brings me to my next point, and I've got more bad news. It may be worse than you think. Let me ask you some questions. Question number one Have you ever told a lie? What does that make you? Now, if I told a lie, what would that make me? A liar. Oh, it's easy to say about well, me, isn't it? If you tell a lie, you're a liar. And this is what the Bible says. All liars will have their place in the lake of fire. It just takes one lie. So how many times have you lied? Okay, we're going to write it up here. Let's see. October 3rd, 2003. Larry Smith, lie. October 5th, Larry Smith, lie. October 10th, 2014, Larry Smith, lie. October, October 15th, Larry Smith lied four times. And we've got this whole section right here covered in lies. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever said the Lord's name in vain? 
Uh, yeah, I've done that. Well, the thing is, God doesn't think too much of that. It's called blasphemy. So here we go. September 3rd, 2014, said the Lord's name in vain. September 5th, did it again. September 8th, did it again. On, on, and on. How much have we got this wall filled up yet? One speck makes us guilty. Here's another question. Have you ever stolen anything? Think about it. Have you ever stolen anything in your entire life? 2014, stole. 2015, on, on, and on. How much have we got filled of this wall yet? Of your personal portrait of sin? Well, I've got some bad news. We've only done three of the Ten Commandments, and that's already full. I think we need some more space. Do we need to even go over the, the next seven? Over here, over here. Here's more, here's more. Now, I want to tell you something. We have some really cool wreaths up here. You, maybe you, you, you've seen them up there, and now they're down here. There just wasn't room with all your sin. We had to take them down. And yes, I did get permission. I'm not stupid. And I've got more bad news. How many times have you done these things? How about gossip? Where is gossip going to go? We've got to start over there. Now we're going to start with gossip. Larry Smith, gossip, 1998. Larry Smith, gossip, 2004. How about these things? Slander, envy, gluttony. Oh, gluttony. It's Christmas. Greed, pride, immorality, jealousy, lust, revenge, unforgiveness, and on and on. How does your wall look so far? Name, date, and the sin. Think of your youth. Think of middle school, high school. I can tell by the looks in your faces we need more room. I think now we're on the ceiling. <laughs> now we're riding in the rafters. Greed, gluttony. How about how you treated your siblings growing up or now? Parents, am I striking a chord with anybody? It sure is with me. I'm right with you. It's all over. I see on this pipe right here, I see on these rafters, I see every sin all over this room. We might need to go to the foyer. Are we in trouble? One speck. And I'm sorry, we've got, I've got more bad news. There's more bad news. You may be one of these people that really doesn't show sin on the outside too much. You have self-control. You're able to contain yourself. But the bad news is, the Bible says that the Lord knows all hearts and all the intent of thought. This is what the Bible says. The Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of thought. So in other words, he knows what you're thinking. You may not outwardly show that sin, but he knows what's in here. He knows you better than you know you. And what if we were to do this? Let's say this. Let's say in the last 24 hours, we take all of your thoughts. We take all of your thoughts and we play them out loud for everybody to hear. How would that make you feel? You thought that? Every thought. What if we played it out loud over the last 24 hours? How about the last week? I think we are out in the foyer now, writing on the wall. We've run out of room in here. How about your whole life? I don't know if there's any blank spots left. I think I need a new pen. <laughs> what a mess. 
So, are you ready for some good news? Too bad, I've got more bad news. <laughs> and this is it. Do you really know how much you sin? Are you self-aware enough to know how much you sin? The Bible says, actually, no, you're not. You're not self-aware to know. This is what David said, a man after God's own heart. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my secret faults and keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. In other words, we don't even know how much we offend God. Some of you are married. You know, sometimes we offend our wife and kids, and we don't even, didn't even realize it, right? And, and it's a blind spot that is revealed to us. How many times have we done that before God? How many more things are going up on that wall of shame that we have? If David said this, what about you and me? How many should we add here? How many sins up on these walls and out in the foyer? I don't know. I'm afraid to find that out about me. Are you ready for some good news? I'm sorry? Yes. I've got more bad news. <laughs> and this is it. We've took Jesus out of Christmas. We've taken Jesus away for illustrative purposes. <clears throat> this is the problem. On our own, without Jesus... You are completely powerless to remove these sins off this wall. You are completely powerless to remove the sin from your life. Now, we may try. We may try to do good. We may try to give, we give money. We, we volunteer our time. We do all these great things to what? Try to be a good person. But the Bible makes it very clear that we cannot work our way to heaven. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that our righteousness, what we think is right, is actually filthy rags to him. Compared to him, it's filthy rags. And it's hard to clean with a filthy rag. So I ask you a question. There you are, sitting before God on Judgment Day. The evidence will be presented. All these marks will be against you. There will be no defense offered, no rebuttal offered, no sympathy extended. There'll be no grace, no advocate to defend you, and no miscarriage of justice. There will be no appeal and no parole. Only perfect judgment forever. The Bible says this. The wages of sin is death. <clears throat> Not death of our body, death of our soul. Forever. So given all this evidence, all this mountain of evidence against you and against me, will we be found innocent or guilty without Jesus on our judgment day? Will it be heaven or hell? Now, if you didn't know more than this, it would be easy to lose hope. Perhaps you came here today and you're discouraged. Maybe you believe that all that sin is up on that wall. There's so much that God could never forgive it because you failed so badly. I'm here to tell you that you're not alone. How many in this room, after this little exercise, think that we don't have a multitude of sin up on that wall? We all do. And to be honest, our own, on our own, it is hopeless. On our own without Jesus, it is hopeless. On our own, we'll be forever separated from God. On our own, our sin will never be removed. It's a lot of evidence against us on Judgment Day. Okay, that's the bad news. Now for some good news. You have to have bad news to have good news, right? There is hope. There is hope for us. This is the hope. The other part of this verse says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our hope 
It's not in ourselves or our good works to manage all these sins. Here's the thing. Until we face God on Judgment Day, all these sins up on the wall that are, make this room dark are not written in permanent ink until we face judgment. There is a chance for them to be taken off, for it to be made clean, to be made perfectly white. But we need help. We can't do it on our own. Are you ready to bring Jesus back? Ready to invite Jesus back into Christmas? What do you think Satan thinks of all these marks, by the way? Satan's got to be loving it. Satan wants you to think that those sins are never coming down. This is like a glorious painting to Satan. Why wouldn't it be? This is all a glorious masterpiece to Satan. He's like high-fiving his demons. Look at all we got this person to do. He doesn't want those sins taken down. Satan wants you to be discouraged. Satan doesn't want Jesus back. But on our own, without him, without Jesus, it's the end of story. It doesn't go any farther than this. But wouldn't it be great if there was some way to be forgiven of all this, to have it made clean? Now, understand, I'm not talking about consequences. We still will have consequences for our sin, right? If you steal something, you might go to jail. There's going to be consequences here. I'm talking about before God. What's going to happen to all these sins before God? What if there was no evidence? What if it was made perfectly clean? We have no idea how wonderful and amazing and beautiful heaven will be. It sounds great to me. A lot better than a lake of fire. But remember, one speck of sin up here with your name and date on it is not going to make it. But there's good news. The Bible says there is one way, one way to get all these sins off the wall. The Bible says the only way is by Jesus. There is no other name, the Bible says, which we must be saved. No other name that all these sins are going to be forgiven. No pastor, no priest, no rabbi, no iman, and certainly not your name or my name. Only Jesus. Only Jesus has the equity to pay the price for this mess we've made before God. He paid it with his own blood. The very one that we need, but we, that can make all this happen, the very one we need is the one we've taken out of Christmas. We can't even say his name in a lot of places. Does it interest you at all to have all this gone? To have all your sin on these walls taken down before God? To be forgiven and be completely free? Let's bring back Jesus. What do we have to do? What do we have to do to be saved from all this? Well, first of all, we need to acknowledge to God that we've done this. It is our sin that we've done, that we've committed these sins, that God, I am a sinner. All these sins with my name and date on these walls and in my life, I am guilty of, and I deserve death. I deserve to be found guilty before you. Now, I know some of you have come here maybe today, and you think, well, I'm in church. There's all these people that seem so holy. Certainly I'm worse than them. Ah, wrong. I know you guys, a lot of you, and a lot of you know me. And I know we need Jesus. We've all have, we all have walls covered with our, our shame and our guilt. We all stumble in many ways, the Bible says. 
we all need to say, God saved me, a sinner. Then we need to repent. We need to repent of our sin. What is repentance? It's a word that goes around a lot. Repentance is this. Repentance is, is a change of mind. Repentance is making a decision. Repentance is, okay, I was living for myself. I'm living for myself. I do what I want to do. Don't tell me otherwise. I'm doing what's pleasing me. And I'm walking, and I'm walking away from God. God's back here. I'm walking away from God, and I'm just adding more to my wall. But if we turn, if we make a decision, I am done with this life. I am done with my life, the way I'm living it. I want to die to myself. I want to be transformed. I want to be turned away from this. So we turn away from our sin. We take a 180 away from our sin. We walk towards God. And we die to our sin. We die to being a slave to our sin. And we turn and be alive to God. Now, this is where a lot of people get off the train. Why do people want to get off the train at this point? They don't like this part. We've been told our whole life that we're number one, that I'm number one, that I'm going to do what I want to do. Don't tell me otherwise. That there's no consequence for any of my actions. It's not true. We need to repent. We need to turn from that life. We need to turn from our way of living and our sin and turn and walk to God. This is huge. It's not an emotion. We can all say, oh, God, I'm so sorry I was caught. I'm sorry I was caught. Some of your parents may have heard that from your kids. Does that really get to the heart? But the problem with that is, is after a week or two, you're not so sorry anymore, and you, we keep living the same way. Repentance is a change. It's a change from living for me to living for God and what he wants and what pleases him. This is what the Bible says. Repent, therefore, and be converted so that your sins may be blotted out. Doesn't that sound great? We have to repent. We have to have a change. We have to live for God and not at ourselves. Are you tired of carrying all your guilt and shame? Turn and live for God. And as we turn from our sin and walk to God, we have to trust him. We have to put our faith in him. And that's really good news for our wall of shame. All that sin and mess we've made can be removed, but it comes at a high price, a far higher price than we could ever pay. Somebody has to die. The wages of sin is death, and it deserves to be you and it deserves to be me. But God loves you so much that he sent his son, his only son, his perfect son, his sinless son, as a perfect sacrifice for your sin. Jesus Christ came into the world to offer his life for you and to pay your punishment and your fine for every one of these sins on the wall. That's how much he loves you. And he did this knowing we're sinners. He loves us that much. He loves us this much. And God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, he doesn't want waiting for you to get your act together. He's not waiting for us to be perf try to be perfect. While we were still sinners, he paid the price for the sins we've committed and the sins we will ever commit. And after three days, he rose again from the dead, defeated death, and defeated Satan. He knew that a price had to be paid for our sins to be blotted out, and he paid it. The Bible calls it atonement, making something wrong, something right. And boy, did he ever. He took your sins off that wall and put them on himself. So look this, not only that you would look good, but you would be good. There's a difference. We can look good. 
But are we good and are we perfect before God? This is how we get saved. Understand that we don't deserve this chance. It's a chance of a lifetime to have Jesus pay for our sin. But God gave us this chance and it's called grace. Nothing what we have done by what he has done by his mercy. He saved us not by the righteous things we have done but by his mercy. So when we acknowledge our sin, when we repent, make a decision to turn from it, to turn to God, broken and contrite with humility, pleading for his forgiveness, and believe and have faith that he came into this world to die for my sins, when we completely surrender our lives and our will and we live for him and him alone, the Bible says this, we are forgiven. Our wall of shame is gone. The old is gone and the new has come. Before God, we remain clean. We are born again. We have a new spiritual life. God comes and lives in us. And we are actually saved and adopted into his family. And you know what else is awesome? We no longer have to fear our judgment day. We no longer have to live in fear of what God is going to think of us. We're going to have consequences here. Maybe bad consequences. Once again, you steal, you might go to jail. But before God, we now have a mediator. We now have a mediator between us. And that's Jesus Christ. He's like an advocate on our side. So instead of all that evidence on our personal wall of shame, this is, this is what the Bible says. This is so awesome. This is what the Bible says will look like before God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him who knew no sin for us. He, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's Jesus Christ. That's like Jesus standing right in the middle of this room in a white garment and all of this black mess and record of you on the wall, and it all comes on him. He became your sin. He took it up on that cross, and he died, and it died with, with him, if we are saved. And this is what we'll look like before God. This is so cool. This is awesome. This excites me. He has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. Does that sound like a little bit of an ex- too much? Are we really holy, blameless? I mean, what if I said, you know, uh, this is my friend Steve. You may not know Steve, but Steve is holy, blameless, and above reproach. <laughs> what would you say? Maybe we should talk to his wife and kids, see what they say. Holy, blameless, and above reproach? Isn't that a bit of a stretch? It is a bit of a stretch, but that's exactly how God is going to view us if we're saved on Judgment Day. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. You might say, really? Wow. And because we're holy, blameless, and above reproach, we are perfect in his sight because of what Jesus did. Remember I said we had to be perfect? We are perfect through Jesus in God's sight. Is that a great gift or what? It's an awesome gift. There's a verse in the Bible that reminds me about this about this peace we'll have with God. Not will have, peace we can have now and forever. Peace with God. Doesn't that sound good? Having peace with God, the creator of the universe, the one who made you, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who's going to be sitting on that, in that courtroom judging you? Wouldn't it be great to know that when you walk into a courtroom, you have peace with the judge? This is a great verse. Love this. Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We get peace with God, not shame and guilt and burdens. We get peace. 
This is what I want to do. This is what I'm, we're going to do. When you leave today, we've got a little card that's got this verse on it. Just to remind us of the great gift that we have. This is Christmas. Peace with God. Offered to everybody. And so we've got it on a little card. We're going to be handing it out as you leave. And I guarantee it's the best gift card you'll get this year. Peace with God. That's better than Home Depot. We started out today talking about gifts, and this is the best gift you'll ever get. So I want to close with a little summary of a, with an object lesson. Okay? So imagine this hand is God. Okay? This hand is God. He's calling to you. God will call you to him. He's not given up on you. The Bible says that he is not willing that any should perish, but all will come to repentance. He's not given up on you. He's calling you. So here's God, and here's you. Okay, you want to be, you're drawing near to God, you don't quite know how. This is your wall of shame. This is our sin. And we press in, we press into God, and we try to be right with him. We give money to the poor, we do all these things, which are fine. But not good enough for forgiveness. We do all these things, and we wake up and we say, where is God? I don't see God. Well, why don't we see God? We're that close. We're still separate. And I tell you, if we take this into our judgment day, it's bad news. We have this separation, even if it's that close. And it's our sin, the sin we've done. But God loves us so much that he gave us his son. That if we confess our sin, and we repent, and we put faith in him, and we turn and live for him, and we say, God, forgive me, a sinner. You know what happens? Now we have fellowship with God. Now we're with him. The Bible says this is being born again. This is what it's all about. And you may walk in here today, maybe you haven't been to our church, and you're going, what is the deal with all these people and all the songs and raising their hands and carrying on? It's because that's gone. And we have this now. It's nothing more than that. And what he's done for us since that's been gone this is when it all begins, and this is available to everybody. I'll say to you, just as a reminder, those of you that are saved, maybe you've had a tough year. Maybe it's been discouraging. Maybe you've lost a loved one. You know, David went through this. David had a time of discouragement, and he said, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. So I'm saying if you're, if you're going through into Christmas and you've had a discouraging year, God restore to you the joy of his salvation. But maybe you're here and your wall of shame is still up there. Here it is, I've got more. Maybe you've tried everything. Maybe you've tried harder. Maybe you're trying to be a good person. But it's not about trying harder, it's about surrendering. It's about giving up, it's about laying our life down. Jesus said, whoever saves his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life from me will save it. He's not given up on you. What is your condition before God? Will you be found innocent or guilty? Will you go to heaven or hell? We need Jesus. Now is the time. There's a great gift available here. Redemption and peace with God now and forever. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we just are humble before you that you would love us so much that you would send your son to be an atonement 
and pay the price for our sin. We thank you for your unbelievable grace and your mercy. Help us to remember this Christmas what you've done for us. Help us to love you and love each other like you've loved us. Help us to live in victory. In your name we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas.